So this morning, we're going to start a new series. Uh, we just finished up our superhero series, our being a champion. And uh, so it was kind of ironic. I, I thought about kind of tagging this because part of what we talked about being a champion or being a superhero are the gifts or the talents. You know, Thor has his hammer and uh, Captain America has his shield and they, everybody has their, their abilities, their skills, their all the different things that they have. And so as God began to deal with me, he said, I want you to begin to cover one of the greatest, the greatest gift that you're going to have as a Christian. One of the greatest superpowers, if you want to call it, that you have as a child of God. And so I want to, if you're turning your Bibles with me this morning, go to Genesis, Genesis 4, verses 25 through 26. And so we're going to cover over the next four weeks, and today I'm just going to introduce this and, and just kind of lay the groundwork for what we're going to do. But we're going to be talking about choosing to pray. Look at the person beside you and ask them, have you chose to pray? Now that, I mean, it, it sounds like a simple well, I pray, you know, I do. But have you chosen to be a prayer person? Have you chosen to use prayer? Because prayer is not something that is just natural. Prayer is not something that just takes place. It's not something we schedule like lunch. It is something that inside of every person, even though it's instinctive, it has to be chosen and it has to be decided that this is the route that I'm going to go. And, and it's not simple because I, every Sunday when I give an altar call, every Sunday people are sitting there having to make a choice. And some of them are sitting there and their marriages are where it is or they're sitting there and their job situation is where it is or they're sitting there and inside they've got all these anxieties or depressions and, and whatever else is attacking them and they're sitting there holding that and I'm like, look guys, right now, if you need prayer, if you need someone to pray with you, if you need someone to call on the Lord with you, if you need someone to agree with you because one can put a thousand but two can put ten thousand, are you ready to pray? And how many people sit there and hold the chair and it's like, like, no, 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 no. I'm okay. I'm all right just the way I, I don't need that. I can pray by myself. The Lord already knows what I need. So it's amazing that God has chosen prayer as this way to connect. Let's read. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and his name was Enosh. Then men began to do what? Up until right now, there had never been any moment of prayer. There had been a recognition of God, a deeper understanding. We don't know exactly how Cain and Abel and all of them understood God, but they basically were still in such a realm that they just talked to God. It wasn't it was still the residue of what Adam and Eve was experiencing. And, and so in this they they had this relationship to where they still communed with God. But something happened as verse 25 says, the moment Cain killed Abel and the world began to become more toxic and death and murder and all the different things were starting to creep in. And all of life was starting to settle in to where there's this distance, this separation now between us and God. That also the voice of God now is becoming silent. That they're not hearing the voice of God like they once did. And something has changed and there's something that's going to be put on the earth that is going to last even until today. And it's called prayer. It's called crying out or calling out to God. Because now, even in this moment or season that we're in, we have to choose. And notice what the Bible says. From that moment on, from the moment after the problems and the trials and everything that it took place, there began to be a season now to where men begin to do what? To call. They had to make a choice. They had to make a decision 
that they were personally going to pursue and call on God for whatever need, whatever problem, whatever situation, whatever was going on in their life. They began to understand that nothing is going to happen now unless we begin to personally take responsibility and call upon God. I could spend months on that one scripture right there. They always pick at me that, that I can take two words and go. And, and But that is such a powerful moment. Then, at that moment, men began to call on the name of the Lord. At that moment, prayer began instituted in the kingdom. Now, I want to show you some scriptures, one of the ones that will be our basic scripture for today. Go to Psalms 50 with me. Psalms 50 and 15. Psalms 50 and 15. Here's what it says. Call upon me in the day of what? Trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. In this psalm is is wrapped up everything that we understand or need to understand about the concept of prayer. In your day of trouble, in your moment of distress... In your moment of need, call on me, and when you call on me, I will automatically do what? Deliver you. Not only will I deliver you, but you will also glorify my name in the process. Go to Psalms 119, verses 145 through 147. Psalms 119, 145 through 147. And I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. Like I said, today I'm not preaching specifics. Today, I'm, I'm laying abroad. So I want to use a lot of Scripture today to show you how the Bible sees this and uses this on a regular, normal basis. Here's what it says. I cry out with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord, and I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies. I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. Go with me to Exodus 2. Exodus 2, verses 23 through 25. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they did what? They cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God then remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged. Notice the concept. you got to get this, because nothing is going to change unless you develop the ability to cry out. Nothing is going to change just because you have a need. Israel in bondage has a need. They are in bad situation. But it was not until they began to groan. It was not until they began to cry out that God said, Oh, let me remember what I had promised. Let me remember what I had already said. One of the enemy's greatest tools he'll use against you is that if I just sit here in silence, it'll go away. If I just draw back and I pull back and I don't talk about it, and I don't show it to anybody, and and I don't say anything to anybody. If I just sit here and and just go to church and sit in the chair, I don't have to do anything. I just need to sit here. Everything will eventually get better. Isn't it amazing how when things start going bad, we come up with these new solutions. Hey, we need to get back in church. Hey, hey, we need need to, to get back to doing this or doing that. We need to get things right again. Isn't it amazing the thing we don't go to is the thing that God calls us to, which is to just cry out. Just cry out. You don't have to find a church building. You don't have to find anything special. All you got to do is decide it hurts bad enough. The situation is bad enough. The circumstance is bad enough. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I am fixing to start doing some crying. I'm fixing to start doing some whining. I'm fixing to start doing some complaining to God. I'm fixing to start yelling out and crying out and saying, look, something's not right. Something needs to change. I can't live like this. Go with me in your Bibles to Judges 10 and 10. We could do this all day. We're not going to. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, We have sinned against you. 
because we've both forsaken our God and have served the Baals. Let me explain two different ways when we talk about crying out. One form of crying out means to shriek. It means to just just bellow out, to scream out. It means from anguish when you are struggling in anguish or hurt, struggling in danger. The second type is when you are in desperation. Desperation comes from when we think about our lives and we start to realize either I made a wrong turn or something isn't right. This desperation can also be called a cry of repentance. God, I messed up. God, I didn't do it right. And so the children of Israel here, their version of crying out is because they come to the understanding that, God, we have done what we weren't supposed to do. Go with me to Psalms 39, verses 12 through 13. Psalms 39, 12 and 13. A couple more and I'll settle down for a second. Here's what it says. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my Do you see it? Most of the time, the reason we're not receiving from God what we want to receive from God because our posture is all amiss. We're thinking, well, I'm here. Well, that's great. But, but, but I got ready this morning and came to church. Some of us even took baths. I mean, we got serious. Combed our hair and everything. And God says, wow, but that's not what moves me. What moves me is do you know the need in your life and are you willing to bring that need to me in prayer? Are you willing to bring the need to me? Is it at a point to where you have realized specific things that you need to realize? In fact, go with me to Psalm 61 and 1. Psalm 61 and 1. Hear my cry, O Lord, and attend to my what? To my prayer. Let me tell you the problem with most of your lives. Most of you still think you're going to figure it out. That's the biggest problem. I'll figure it out. What you usually end up with is what the devil didn't totally steal from you. He may have got your wife, your kids, and maybe you're still an alcoholic, but at least you're alive. He didn't get everything. So most of the time in our lives, what we struggle with is is this desperate need to understand that I can't. God can. It is the beginning of crying out. It is the beginning of understanding. Go one more place with me real quick. Psalms 142, verses 5 and 6. Psalms 142, verses 5 and 6. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry because I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors for they are what? See, when you cry out, you've got to understand you're not strong enough. Let me tell you why you can't come off the addictions. It's because you're not strong enough. Let me tell you why you can't keep the thoughts and and stuff in check, because you're not strong enough. Let me tell you why you can't hold it together and why you can't keep from getting anxious all the time and why you can't sleep without medication. Let me tell you why you're struggling with all those different things is because you're not strong enough. And it's in that understanding that eventually you cry. That's what we're figuring out about the vaccines and all of this. Let me tell you what people are getting all anxious about again. Why it's so a stress? Because didn't they promise you we're going to find a cure? Isn't that what they kept telling you? We're going to get a cure. Now it's gone from a cure to a vaccine. And it's gone from a vaccine to a booster. And it's gone from a booster to there's going to be other strains that now we're going to have to come out with new... Let me tell you where your anxiety is coming from. 
Is it they're not strong enough? They don't know enough? They're not good enough? They're not great enough? They're not God enough to solve the problems that are going on in the world? And what we're going to have to decide is we've got to finally throw up our hands. And when Dr. Fauci finally throws up his hands and every medical doctor throws up their hands and every nurse throws up their hands and every church throws up their hands and every business throws up their hands and every person throws up their hands and they say, God, we aren't strong enough. We aren't mighty enough. We're not smart enough. We're not great enough. But oh, but you are. I am persuaded that you are. I have determined that you are. And I am confident that you are. Therefore, I'll put my trust in you. I believe it so much that you're the one I'm going to cry out to. When that finally takes place, when you finally get to that point, your life will change. Your life will change. 27 years ago, let me just show it to you, in a, and I'm going to do this over the next several weeks, show you several different videos and several concepts, but today I just want to use it from this perspective. As they pull up these pictures, that's, that's where we began. You show the next one of the sign right on the corner, corner of Banks and Jones. That was 27 years ago. Some of you were not alive. If you weren't alive, then raise your hand just for fun. There you go. None of you were even alive when me and Elise decided to move to Forest, Mississippi. Back in those days, we couldn't pull it up on our Google Maps. We didn't even have a cell phone. Imagine how, how I mean, you were living in the dark ages, folks. We had to pull out a road map when they told us from the state office, we have this wonderful opportunity, Tim. We have this great opportunity. I mean, it, it, is, it is primed. They did not tell me that they had been through about five or six pastors in about five or six years. They didn't tell me anything about the building itself and, and how it was cracked down the middle and the door had a gap this far and you had to blow the leaves out with, a, with a, just a blower every Sunday morning so we could have worship. Oh, it was, it was wonderful. When we moved, moved into this, that was so amazing because I just want to share with you this morning the trouble part. Why would you cry out to God? Well, let me explain to you. When we moved there, the first service we had, we had 15. So two of them was us. That means 13. About six of them showed up for the first time in a year or so because they just wanted to see who was preaching that Sunday. They'd heard it was somebody new coming. So that left me about six or seven. One of those, I thought, man, I've got one lady that's extremely well. I found out later she hadn't been there in six months, first time she'd come back. I thought, well, I've gotten really not very many people. The ones that were consistent were all 75 or older. So within the first five years, I preached 11 funerals. I was losing my church faster than I was growing it. In the middle of all of this, it's on 16-section land. We never could really ever own it. So we paid a rent on it just so that we could use the building. On top of that, if I could show you the picture next to it, the this little house there, well, that was the biggest drug house in town, which was right next door to our parsonage. I mean, it wasn't like down the street. It was right there. We know it because they would always tell us, to say, Pastor, you'll always know cars are coming in. He said, if they turn the front porch light on, that means the crystal meth has already been cooked and it's ready. And if the light's off, it means don't come by because it ain't ready yet. So you'd be amazed when that front porch light would come on in the afternoon, man, three or four cars would go pulling up in that driveway. The parsonage that we had was so dilapidated, it wasn't hardly even livable. So me and Elise, we both got jobs, and we started working to pay ourselves to preach. And that's what we did. I traveled as a food broker, so three days out of the week I was gone, come back in on Wednesday, preach to about two people, maybe, if it was a good Wednesday night, we might have two or three. Leave back out again, come back Friday, get ready for Sunday and preach again. 
And in the middle of all of this trouble, in the middle of all of this, I mean, we, we try to do night services for the while. We quit that because people would get their radios stolen out of their cars. So we couldn't do night services. I could go on and on. And really all it boiled down to was the fact that what we had inherited was just trouble. Just trouble. And what do you do when all you've got is trouble? What do you do? Well, quit. Go find something better. It's got to be something easier than this, right? What do you do when you made a commitment to something and God says, you're here? And it's full of trouble. What do you do? We did what we only thing we knew to do. We knew that if God couldn't cure the ails and the people that walked in the doors, most 90% of the ones that walked in were either drug addicts or, or people that were struggling or life was way, way gone. I remember on one occasion... I had this one couple, got them in church, a young couple, had a couple kids. I thought, man, this is so awesome. We are doing good. God had done kind of touched, and it was, it was all good. I get a call about 1 o'clock at night. Pastor Lott, you need to come over. I come over, and there she sits with a bag of ice over her eye. He done punched her. He was half lit, high as a kite. But as he's coming down, God's getting a hold of him again. And so he hands me all kind of stuff. Stuff, little pipes with stuff glued to the end of it. And I don't even know what all this stuff is. He just puts it in my hand. He says, Pastor, you've got to get rid And all I'm thinking is, God, I don't, I don't know what to do with all this. I don't know how to fix this. What do you want me to say? What do you mean tell her? What do you mean tell his two kids that are crying over in the corner? What do you mean tell him? He's sitting here crying and he's, 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 everything he's tried to work for the last month seems like it's all been ripped away. I'd already done talk, talk to the, the police in town and different people and this hasn't been the first time. In fact, most of them know me by you know, my car and, and personally. And I told him, I said, listen, if you ever see me pull up in somebody's house that you're, you're doing a, a watch on, I said, you give me five miles before you pull me over. And they're like, why, Pastor? I said, because you know when I go in there and they're convicted, I said, you know they're going to give me what they got. And I want you to know I'm not buying it. I just need to get far enough down the road to throw it out the window. They said, we'll give you five miles. Most of those guys are my friends today and buddies. There's a many a night I've drove down the road just throwing stuff out, not knowing what it was. Like, Lord, what is that? I don't even want to know what that is. What do you do when you don't have an answer for your marriage? What do you do when you don't have an answer for your kids? What do you do when you don't see how life's going to pan out? God has given us one great, powerful tool. And the crazy thing is, it has to be chosen. It will not sneak up on you. It will not just come get you. We as a church, all those years ago, 27 years ago, we just began to pray. We just began to pray. We'd meet on Monday nights and pray. We'd pray over anything. We'd pray over everything. That became just our calling card. Hey, we can pray. We had people from other churches that had have problems and they'd call us over to the house and just do it. We're going to have a prayer night. Pastor Lott, would you come? You'd be the final person pray. People who were bipolar and God would heal and do things. And, and it was just one miracle after another. But all of it came because of prayer. There was no special when people say, well, how do you grow a church? You better learn how to pray. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you get all this? You better know how to pray. 
You better have a concept of prayer that's bigger than whatever problem you're going to face. Because whether you read the Psalms of David, whether you read about different people throughout the Bible, the New Testament, Old Testament, let me tell you what they're going to tell you. You had better know how to pray. When they, the disciples are following Jesus and seeing all that he deals with and all he has to be stressed out about and all the problems and all the people pulling on him, you know what they want to know? Teach us how to pray. Because we realize that prayer is essential. Listen, let me even, if I, and we'll deal with this later, but, but even in the natural world, I'm going to tell you something. Do you know one out of every three atheists pray? It's the craziest thing in the world. Science is, is, does all this study. People say, I don't believe in God, but they pray. They still pray. I used to hear the joke years ago of the guy that didn't believe in God and didn't, and they got stuck in that lightning storm and running through the woods, and the guy behind him was saved, and he said, all I could hear the guy in front of me saying, oh, Lord, Lord, help me. Get me out of here. And I, he, said, he said, it's amazing how much religion you get and how much of a prayer life you get in trouble. Isn't it? People that don't even believe in God. Whole countries like ours that don't even believe in God. Watch people on the news this morning. People that don't want God in school, don't want God anywhere, don't want to pray, but all of a sudden a hurricane. Y'all, we need to be praying for New Orleans. Like you don't even pray. It can't hurt. Let me tell you why. Because instinctively, naturally built within you is prayer. We're going to cover this a little more later. But, but even there is effects on your brain from praying. It is crazy as science is to, it affects the neurons. It affects the different things that are connecting and reconnecting in your brain. It transforms. Oh, that's a word. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. And prayer is one of the components by which you learn to transform how you think. We'll, we'll cover that. I'll show you some of the evidence and stuff that they've done. It, it's, it's cool, but that's for a later time. So why pray, Brother Light? Well, over the next three weeks, we'll be covering this. Why we pray, number one, is we choose to pray because of His power. We choose to pray. Remember, the key thing is, the only reason you're going to start praying is because you realize, I can't do it myself. I've got to turn to a power of some sort. What frustrates the world so bad is they keep turning to different powers, and every power they turn to doesn't fix their problems. And that gets frustrating. The next person that comes along and promises, the next situation that promises, the next drug that promises, the next thing that promises. It's, it's like watching the, the TV commercials, the infomercials of all the medications and stuff that's out there. If you deal with anxiety, hey, we have a new medicine. If you just take this medicine, it, it will help your anxiety. Of course, it will cause liver disease. You can't get lymphoma. You can't get this. You can die of cancer. But who cares? You won't be anxious about it. You'll go through it calmly. And so when we take, do one thing from the world, they're like, well, that didn't fix it. That just made it worse. Or changed it from one problem to the next. We'll talk about His power. We'll talk about, secondly, I choose to pray because of His Word. And thirdly, we'll deal with it, I choose to pray because of the results that it brings. I choose to pray because of the results that happen. As we go through this story of us 27 years of traveling, there are results. There are victories. Prayer produces victories. Let me give you a few verses again that talk about this a little bit. Go with me to Proverbs, Proverbs 15, verse 29. When we talk about praying, when we talk about seeking God, I want to talk a little bit about why, what God will do and why He'll do it. When we talk about prayer, what's God going to do and why? Let's look. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. Go with me to Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33, 2-3. Thus says the Lord who made, made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is His name. Call on me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. 
Go with me in your Bibles to Matthew 7. I told you we could do this all day. Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will knock, and it shall be for everyone. Look at that person beside you and say, everyone. Everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And him who knocks, it will be open. God has made this incredible promise. Promise after promise that if you will pray, if you will do it, if you will choose it, it is a 100% guarantee that I will answer, I will deliver, I will come through, I will show you great and mighty things. I am a God who answers prayer. It's not just a Russian roulette. It's not just throwing it up and hoping it sticks. He hears every prayer that's prayed. You sure, Brother Lot? I mean, I mean, I got all this stuff. He hears every single prayer. Go with me in your Bibles to Luke, Luke 18, verses 7 through 8. Listen to what it says. Aren't you glad we got this on DVD and it'll be online where you can write all these scriptures down later? It's good. And shall God not avenge his own elect who do what? Say it. Cry out. This ain't Old Testament, this is New Testament. And will God not avenge his own elect who cry out and day and, uh, and night to him though he bears long with them so God says, okay, I'm not going to do it immediately. I'm not going to do it always on your time, but I heard your prayer. I'm moving in that direction, and I will arrive. I tell you that he will avenge them steadily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the... That's amazing that that scripture is put there. You ever hear people pull that out of context all the time? You know, when God returns, will he find faith? When God returns, will he find faith? But they don't even know the context that it's brought. What's it brought in? It's brought in the context of those that are crying and praying and believing in God and have determined that God is able. So therefore, they are not going to, even though he tarries, they're not going to stop praying and calling on God. And God says, through Jesus, Jesus says, when I return, am I going to find anybody that has that type of mentality? Am I going to find anybody who will tarry long in prayer, in crying out, knowing that I will fulfill it, knowing that I will avenge, knowing that I will always make it right, that they will not quit and turn to something else? Will he really find faith when he returns? In fact, let me put it to you very plainly. You can't have faith without a prayer life. And you can't have a prayer life without faith. The two are connected. Show me somebody who says, well, I'm just not good at praying. I'll show you somebody who's not good at faith. And if you show me somebody who's not good at faith, I'll show you somebody who can't pray. They go hand in hand. You say, I can't pray, you're not going to have faith. You say, I struggle with faith, it means you can't pray. Those two go hand in hand connected because when somebody's in trouble, they're going to turn to something. They're going to cry out to something. And what you're crying out to determines what is transforming inside your thoughts, in your mind, what's bringing you anxiety or relieving it. Go with me to Psalms 86. Psalms 86, verses 5 through 7. Let me show you why. For you, Lord, are good. So we know that he's promised. We know, but why? We know that he's asked us in the time of trouble to turn toward him. Why? Because here's the thing. God realizes that trouble is what creates the desire for you to come back to him. It is in trouble that causes you to cry out. You don't cry out when you're not in trouble. 
You cry when you are in trouble. And he says, so what I do in life is I leave that certain amount. I was always curious why Jesus left that. Jesus says, Lord, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Just keep them while they're in it. Jesus said, while you're in this world, you're going to have trouble. And I used to think, well, man, if you really cared, then you would just relieve the trouble. But it's the trouble that creates the prayer, which creates the faith, which creates the miracle. And so he says, I'm not going to relieve the trouble. The trouble's the start. So, Tim, I'm not changing Forest, Mississippi before you get there. You're going to have to step into the trouble. I'm not going to change all that's going. I'm not going to change all the situation. I'm not going to fix the building. I'm not going to fix all the stuff. I'm, I'm not changing the people that you're starting with. I'm not changing anything. I'm going to allow the trouble to do the things that it's meant to do. It, it's meant to cause you to pray, which is caused to make you grow in faith. So when somebody says, Pastor, I, I would love to be where you are. I would love to have what you have. And I'm thinking, you don't really want the journey that it takes to get to where I am. It sounds good standing here. It sounds good having what people think is something. But understand, it ain't the something that got me here. It's the what got me here that gave me the something. It's all that I had to go through and endure and the prayers and the problems. It's that situation. And we live in a society that says, I want to skip the trouble and I want to skip the prayer, but I want the results. And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. God guaranteed you trouble. God guaranteed you problems so that he would guarantee you to cry out. And the cry out guarantees you're going to have faith. One writer said it best, all that trouble can do is drive me to my knees. Whoever wrote that was a very successful person. I don't even have to ask about it. I don't even have to know who they were. Because if every problem in their life drove them to their knees, then it drove them to something bigger than their problem. Let me show you real quickly. We'll skip a bunch of this. Is that okay? I, I like, I go two or three hours. You don't know that. Psalms 15 and 15 says, Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify or bring me honor. Let me show you real quickly a few things. This verse, when we talk about it, when we talk about trouble, in your day of trouble, call on me. I will deliver you and it will bring me honor. Number one. It shows that your heavenly Father cares about you. It shows that your heavenly Father cares about you. The first thing you're going to have to understand before you cry out to Him, because, because if you cry out to somebody who doesn't care, it's embarrassing. If you cry out, that's the reason we don't like to ask for help, right? Well, I didn't want to bother you, brother Lord. I didn't want... no. What you really thought was I didn't care. That's really what you thought. I just don't, Pastor, I don't care. So I ain't calling him. And with God, it works the same way. If the enemy can just make you decide that God does not care, that God is not concerned, that God does not have any care about your life, then it becomes very hard to want to fall on your face and cry out and say, God, please help me. Because what I'm thinking is he's probably up there laughing at me. You ever have people say that? Look at, well, we ought to pray about it. God ain't, I mean, Lord, I've done so much, God ain't going. You ought to go to church with me. Man, if I walked in there, the building would fall in. You know what they're really saying? God doesn't care. God has already made a decision over my life, and he's done determined I'm trash. God has already done this. He's done seen my life, done seen how much I've done, and He's done determined that I'm not worth it. So there's no sense in me going to church, no sense in me praying, no sense in me crying out. I've done too much. I've gone too far. He doesn't care. Because the same people, listen, the same people that got these messed up lives will call their mama. Cry on the phone. Oh, you got to help me now. i got to have some help. Why? Well, I know mama cares. I know mama, if she got $5, she'll get help me. 
Right? Don't shout me down now. I'm just getting the good stuff. Ain't that the truth? We call the person, we, they care. What if your mama said, you know, you've done so much dumb stuff, just don't ever call me no more. It'd break your heart. Why? Because you don't expect that from mama. No, mama's going to say, oh, sweetie, come on over, I'll cook you something. And we'll just talk about it and we'll figure it out together. It works the same way with God. I don't call my mama. I call on God. And I do the same thing. We're like, God, I've done messed it up. It's done got bad. And God says the same thing. Tim, come on. Let's go to Sonic and get us something to eat. You got any money, Tim? I got some money. Well, that's because I gave it to you. So I'm buying you lunch today. And I love you so much, you go ahead and get that double. Because you don't feel good today and you need it. Route 44 sweet tea. Biggie size, large size and fries. I love you, Tim. If you ever think of God doing you that way, God bought you lunch and God just sat you down and God gave you a chair to go home and sit in and God just said, I'm taking care of you, ain't I? We don't think that way. We don't think that way. But really, that's what's happening. Number two, it shows how willing the Lord is to help us. He, he's, he's desiring to help you. Not only does He love you, not only does He care, but He's desiring to help you. Call on me in your time of trouble. But, I, but I've done, to, I'll call on you when things are right. No, 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 call on me when you're in trouble. If the phone rings, I expect you to be in trouble. I've asked you to call me when it's time. to. If I call my mom right now, if I was to take the cell phone, call my mom right now, out of the blue, you know the first thing she's going to ask, what's wrong, Tim? Why something got to be wrong? Well, you wouldn't be calling me right now if it's something. Now, this is a person who loves me. So why do you think God doesn't think the same thing, that when you call him at the time of trouble and you're like, God, I hate to bother you. I know why you're calling, Tim. I know why you're here. I know what you need. You need some help. Lord, I hate to call you right now. I know I'm just trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to serve you and trying to do right. And I don't ever want to bother you and don't ever. But I'm in a mess. That's good. Call me in the time of trouble. Because I'm willing to help you. I love Luke 5. Go with me to Luke 5, verses 12 and 13. Luke 5, verses 12 and 13, here's what it says. It's one of my favorite stories. When I get down on myself and I have this tendency, I, 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 I'm a very hard person on myself. So, so I can get down on myself for not doing enough, not being enough, not accomplishing enough. Not... And there's times when you just can't do anything. You just can't. And so when, when, when you go through the flu or you go through something and, you know, everybody ever get down, you, know, you can't do nothing. It's, just, it's, a, it's a depressing feeling. It's like... I want to be doing. You can't. Well, what's the way I need to do? Just sit right here. Well, I, I don't want to do that. And this story always comes to my mind. It says, and it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw. I love how it says that. It doesn't say he had leprosy. His whole body. I don't know if parts of his fingers had already started to erode off. I don't know if, if, if it, 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 but his entire body there was no hiding the leprosy. Some might have been able to sneak around and cover their arm that had leprosy or a hand, but he was full of leprosy. And he saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored him. You get it? Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's called crime. Lord, if you're just willing, all I can do is ask. All I can do, I know I shouldn't call you right now. I don't deserve to call you. I know you probably don't even want to see me. I know we got all the excuses, but maybe in his mind, Psalms 50 was there. If you'll just call on me in time of trouble, I will deliver you. And you'll bring me glory. And honor. 
you can make me clean. Then he put his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. There are a lot of times in my life that this story just creeps up. And I'm thinking, God, I'm the last thing you need to touch. And this thought comes to my mind every time. When he touches me, I don't affect him. When he touches me, he affects me. The last thing that you would want to do is somebody who's full of leprosy is to reach out and touch them. That's the last thing you would want to do, to touch someone who there, I mean, you could have said, well, he had a little over here, so I just touched him over here. No, it was no, and, and Jesus just reaches out, not just saying, okay, be okay. Jesus sees this guy bowed down, crying out and saying, you're the only hope I got. Will you help me? And Jesus reaches out and touches him. Knowing the leprosy son won't affect me, but I'm sure going to affect the leprosy. And touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately, immediately, the leprosy did what? Left him. It shows that God knows we need simple commands. We don't need complicated, fast 40 days, do this. Just cry. How simple. You know your need? Then cry. You know what you're struggling with? Then cry. You know what you would wish God would change? Then cry. He gives simple commands. He, it shows that God gives sure and certain promises. I will deliver you. That's what he promises. And number five, God will do it for his glory. He'll do it for his glory. Stand with me. I want to read one more scripture. I know you hate it, but my time is up. Here's what the Bible says. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, if they'll pull that up. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is as simple as it gets. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. This morning, that's what you have to decide. Who you're going to cry out to. I want you to think about in your life what need it is that you have. It can be insignificantly small. You say, well, I don't, I don't have to worry about what you... That's not the point. The point is, is, what is the need in your life right now? What is the thing that at night when you lay down, it's like... I remember when I was young, it could be as simple as, I ain't got no friends. God, I got no friends. It could be as simple as, Lord, I can't understand this math and stuff, and I'm going to fail, and I don't know how to fix this, and I need your help. When I was young, the prayers were different. As I got older, Lord, I'm never going to meet Miss Wright, and I'm going to live alone. I just want to shave my head and join a monastery. I'm going to be lonely all my... I went through every season of need. Now I just see a flight of stairs and it's like, Lord, I just need strength. I cry. Oh, please give me strength and get these legs up these stairs. It changes, right? What you needed at 14 and 12, you don't need the same thing now, but you still have needs. And the writer says, now this is the confidence that we have. That if we ask anything, whatever the need is in your life, according to His will, He, he hears every single prayer I pray. For 27 years, He's heard every prayer I've ever prayed over Forest, and I've ever prayed over you, and I've ever prayed over all seasons. He's heard every single prayer. Verse 15. 
And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. If we know that He hears us, then we also have the confidence to know that whatever it is I'm asking, He's giving. Brother Lot, you mean He's going... You've got to cry out to something. And as your pastor, if I could teach you anything, I would teach you learn to cry to Him. If we're going to teach this world anything over the next years, I don't care if we try to sit there and argue with them on Facebook. I don't care if we try to convince them that our way is the better way. Or we'll tell you the greatest thing you'll ever teach them. Teach them to have the confidence that when they can't find an answer, that there's one they can cry out to who is always the answer. If you're in this place today and you just might have a need, you just might have a need. The thing you thought about this morning or couldn't sleep with last night or wrestle with, it was ironic that today Kenneth had called me this week and said, look, can, can, can you meet me at 7.30? So at 7.30 we met up there and there was a, just a small group, just a couple of people that he had called. And, and he said, I just feel like we need to pray for you. And I thought to myself, you have no idea what I'm fixing to start. You have no idea the series that I'm fixing to begin. Y'all had no idea why y'all are standing here saying, we need to pray that you're making the greatest decision of your life. The greatest thing you can do for me or anybody is just to learn how to cry out to God. So if you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I have a need. I have a need and of course, God already knows it before I ask. But He says you still need to ask. Because asking is what transforms your life. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I have a need. And I need desperately to bring it to God. Because I know that He hears me. And I know that He'll answer me. That's you today. I want you to step out from where you are. I want you to come find a place. It may be everybody in this room. In fact, I just about guarantee there's a 100% chance that everybody in this room has a need. But the question is, is whether or not you will cry. Doesn't matter how many years I do this. Doesn't matter how many sermons I preach through the years. It's always the same at the end. Which person will decide I'm just going to cry out to God. I'm not going to let the enemy isolate me. I'm not going to get into some corner and think about this thing over and over. I'm not going to wrestle with it in my own strength because I'm not able. No. I'm just going to give it to God. The one who hears me and the one who answers prayers. If you'll just learn to cry out, if you'll learn to just cry out, it'll transform your life. You'll start to tap into power. You'll start to tap into words you didn't know you had. You'll start to tap into results that you didn't know you could get. But it begins this morning with realizing that I have trouble. That I have troubles. And my troubles cause me to pray. And my prayer is what draws me close to it. And relieves all my fears and anxieties. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, will you just let your people cry out? Would you teach us to just cry out? We can't fix it. 
We can't change it. We can't fix this old world. We can't fix all the terrorism. We can't fix all the leaders that are in Washington. We can't fix all the people. God, we can't fix the violence. We can't fix all the broken marriages. We can't fix all the addictions. We can't fix all the anxiety that people are struggling with. We can't fix COVID. God, but you can. You can. And this morning, Lord, we begin a journey. A journey of just crying out. Of just learning to call on you. Making it a priority of our life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. The fragrance of heaven and pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. A holy anointing. The power of your presence and pour your spirit out. And pour your spirit out. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be distraught. Don't, don't, don't let all the stuff that you hear in your face and you deal with, don't let it overwhelm you. Well, then what do you want me to do? He says, listen, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This week, here's what I want you to do. Whenever it hits you, whenever it hits you, maybe you're watching newscast and it's like, oh, Lord. Decide right then. God... You're the answer. And go ahead and just 
Make your petition. God, you've got to fix it. Go ahead and give Him praise and say, God, you're going to fix it. This week, I want to challenge you to not be transformed by the world, but to allow God to transform you through prayer, through praise. It's not the absence of problems. I could pray, God, just don't let them have any problems this week so they don't have to pray. Right? That ain't a good prayer. Even Jesus didn't pray that. But Lord, while they go through problems, teach them to pray so they can feel your presence and watch their life transform. God bless you. Hey, get a chance this week. Give that devil fits.